Perfect. Short and sweet, just like me. Hey, uh, uh, Pastor Scott got to do a little vacationing this week, uh, which for him, I think ideal is get out in the middle of nowhere and catch fish. Yes? So he got to refresh and uh, rejuvenate a little bit this week, so I get to be up here. We're glad when, uh, when our ministry staff gets to do that. Um, I'm also fighting a little bit of one of those summer colds, which aren't those the best summer colds? Um, so I've got my bottle of fresh water. See, I came up with that all by myself. And uh, a pocket full of cough drops, so uh, we're good. Uh, turn to the book of Jude, please, in your Bible, if you can find it. Jude is not one of those books we look at often. Uh, Jude is one of those uh, untouched passages of Scripture. It's not, uh, it's not one that lends itself well to a, a sermon series that's only one chapter long. Um, we don't, there's a lot in Scripture, actually, that we don't, we don't really hear taught or, or preached on. And I know for myself personally, I like to go to those, those areas that's kind of hidden and, uh, and untouched. There's so many hidden gems uh, in Scripture, and uh, we don't often hear them preached. So I would really encourage you to, uh, to go deep into the Word of God and, and find it for yourself. And uh, you don't need a, a library full of commentaries or a seminary degree. You've got the Holy Spirit who can uh, and does uh, illuminate the Word of God to you. So please go for it. Also, this, uh, this book of Jude, this short letter, takes less than a page in my Bible. There's not much there. Uh, but I do consider it just as inspired, just as powerful, just as useful as every other page in Scripture. So I don't want to miss those hidden gems just because someone doesn't uh, preach it or feed it to me. So let's make sure we're going into, into the Word of God. Uh, did you find Jude yet? Okay, there's some hesitant nods. I'll keep talking. I'll give you another minute. Uh, who was this Jude character? Uh, Jude, uh, we believe, was one of the brothers of Jesus. He grew up in that household probably some baggage from that. Every time he messes up, what do you think his parents say? Why can't you be more like your brother? Right? One of those. Uh, he, he's one of the younger brothers. He's even got um, some older brothers besides Jesus. James is probably the most notable. Uh, he was a leader in the church at Jerusalem. <clears throat> Wrote uh, some scripture. Uh, very influential, loud voice, popular uh, man. Um, he was the brother of Christ, so that could have been somewhat of a claim to fame. Most likely, there was a little bit of a claim to shame there. We know from the Gospels that Jesus' family didn't even believe in him while he was on earth. It wasn't until after he ascended that they, uh, they believed and they followed. Uh, and so there's, there's maybe some baggage with this guy, Jude. He's uh, maybe not as well known, uh, had, the, had some stuff from his past that maybe he wasn't proud of. And I think there's even a lesson there that no matter who you are, no matter if you're on stage or, or singing, you're just sitting there, you're at the door, wherever you are, wherever you serve, God has a plan and a place for you. And he has purposed you here in this place today, in this time, to do kingdom work for him. And so don't compare yourself to anyone else. Don't miss out on what he has for you. Whether you consider it big or small, go for it. Really follow after him. 
just like Jude did. Baggage and all. Okay? Isn't that good? We haven't even started yet. That's pretty good, right? Don't, don't miss that. Don't miss God's plan for you. All right, let's start reading. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, uh, for being here, uh, for filling this room, this building with your presence. Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would continue in worship as we open Scripture and we ingest your word today. Lord, I pray for a free reign of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. We would truly seek you, that we would be different when we leave here today than when we showed up. I want to pray the, uh, the blessing of Jude over us today. If you are here and you are in need of mercy, you're in a situation and you just need mercy. In the name of Jesus, would his mercy be multiplied to you. Receive his mercy. If you are desperate for peace, peace in your home, peace in your marriage, peace at work, in the name of Jesus, would his peace be multiplied to you. If you are here and you feel unloved, unlovable, you just need to know that God loves you. In the name of Jesus, would his love be multiplied to you. Receive his love. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. Now don't miss this. This is the whole point of Jude. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What does that mean? This word contend means to struggle. Literally means to struggle. Think of a, a wrestling match or, or something. You've got two contenders, right? They're fighting to prevail. They're contending for a, a crown, a, a win. And Jude says, contend for our faith. Struggle for it. Why does he say that? Look at verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude has actually gone on a missionary journey, and he's visited a number of churches. This is about 40-plus years after Christ's ascension. And in that short amount of time, he's seen that the purity of the faith is being watered down. And he's seeing that people are bringing in things that are outside. And it's becoming part of the church. And he sees this and he realizes the importance that God places on the purity of our faith. That we're to maintain purity, holy, based on Scripture. I want to, I want to make two observations here in verse 4 before we go on. It says, for certain people have crept, where? 
in. They've crept in. So what Jude is, is writing here, what we're going to look at today, applies in, in the church. Okay? This applies to uh, fellow believers when he says to, to contend, to, to fight for the faith, the purity of our faith. So I know this is an incredible, you're going to be astounded, an incredible leap of logic. So if this applies in, it does not apply out. Okay, you're all whispering. If it applies in, it does not apply out. Let's not miss that. Jude is not saying that we are to go to unsaved people and describe to them the, the doctrine of whatever and try to convict them that, that they don't understand certain specifics of the Christian faith. Unsaved people act like unsaved people. And we can't fault them for that. I remember uh, when, we, when my family and I lived in New York State, there was um, a single mom nearby. My wife and a, a very good friend of ours uh, befriended her. And they, she started hanging out with us, her, she and her kids, and started coming to church. And I remember there was, there was one Sunday, somebody said something. I, I don't know what happened exactly. But after church, she she began to, to say to me something along the lines of, I don't know if I can be here. I don't know if I'm going to be welcome here because I've been divorced. Now, our denomination has a policy on divorce and remarriage because Scripture teaches about it. But for an unsaved person, that's not the time to go into that. And so I remember just looking at her saying, Jen, that's not a primary question. That might not even be a secondary question. That, that's down the line. So what's primary is your relationship with God. What do you do with Jesus? A number of weeks later, she came to a saving knowledge of Christ. I am so glad for that. But that's not the time where we, we contend and we fight over the finer details of our faith, of doctrine. And I think we see that in Christ's life, too. That when he's fighting... For the purity of faith, who's he, who's he fighting with? The religious folks. When he's out having dinner with sinners in somebody's house and he gets in trouble for it, he obviously hasn't offended them so much that they won't have dinner with him. He's not demeaned them or put them down for what they do, how they live. He just shows love. And we've got to remember that. Friends, that when we're, we're interacting with unsaved people, they're going to act like unsaved people. That's okay. We need to lead them to the love of Christ and not demean, offend, put down, reject because of the way that they live. So this applies in. Okay? The second observation from verse 4 is a couple of interesting words there. He said, certain people have crept in unnoticed. So Jude's, uh, Jude's looking at the church about 40-plus years after it starts, and he's noticing that there are shifts. These are subtle shifts. It's interesting, Pastor Scott preached from uh, Romans, a series in Romans last week, as he's going through kind of the, really the fundamental tenets of salvation. And Paul is arguing there about these extra things that have been brought in, and, and, and uh, he says, no, it's faith alone, faith by grace alone. And Pastor Scott brought up the, the relics. Do you remember that? And the indulgences and, and all these big things. But those things don't happen overnight. 
Those things creep in very subtly over time. And I think Jude would have us fight the fight here at the lower level. Let's be very aware of what's going on and not get to the point where somebody like Martin Luther has to come around and say, this is totally messed up. You're missing everything. So it's very important that as we maintain the purity of our faith, we're looking, we're aware of those subtle shifts. Culture changes. Uh, the people around us shift and change. But this doesn't. And so we've got to be aware of those very subtle shifts. Now, the shift that he's seen could be a variety of things, but when he looks at it, he looks at it as perverting the grace of God into sensuality. That's, it becomes very human-centered. What fits me, what feels right and good to me, what I think. And eventually, he sees that it, it results in denying Christ. It's a perversion of the faith. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, a reference to the practice of homosexuality, serves as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Judas said, we need to contend for the faith because some things creep in. His very first supporting uh, few sentences here, his first argument, is he relates to three uh, examples from the past. These are pretty big, well-known examples of individuals or uh, cities or, or even heavenly beings who were in. They appeared to be in and secure. And yet we see words like destroy, destruction. And he also, uh, if you look at all three of these examples, he sh the, all these are connected by this other fact that God is the one who actually took action on all of these, uh, in these examples. No one person, but God himself took the action to purify. And so he's lining us up. His first argument is he's lining us up with, this is, we're in line with God. As I ask you to contend for our faith, we're in line with God. This is what God thinks. This is how he acts. It's important to him. And so he's, he's lined us up. He's supporting uh, this appeal by showing that, that God is behind this. Verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people, now referring back to the certain people from verse 4, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Do you see what they rely on? Their dreams. We talk about, we use the phrase a lot here about a stage of truth and that there's many sources that we can pull from for truth and, and how confident we can be in that truth. And, and we like to say that Scripture should be front and center on our stage of truth. 
And there's other things, church tradition and, and many other things, but those aren't front and center. But what he sees is that people rely on, as he says, their dreams when they bring things in. It's their, their wish, uh, their want, what they think is right. It, it relates back to that, that word uh, sensuality. It, it's about me. It's what I think. And there's not a reliance on Scripture. And a lot of times when that happens, Scripture has to be contorted or perverted to support an argument or to show that something is okay. But in every case, we need to submit to Scripture. Let's contort ourselves, even if it doesn't feel right, if, it, if it's a little confusing, We've got to submit to Scripture and not the other way around. So Jude is showing here that there's, there's a difference in even basis of where these things come from. As things seek to, to work their way in to our faith. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. There's three more examples well-known examples from Jewish history. You can read about Cain and Genesis, Balaam, and, and Korah. You can find in the book of Numbers. But again, those who were in, and we see through unbelief or rebellion, they bring in impurities into the faith. And eventually, it comes to the point where there's these words like destroy, defile, perish. It's not a good outcome. And Jude is, is warning, first of all, don't be that person. And second of all, recognize when those things are happening. Recognize it. Jude then uses a, a series of just incredible word pictures. Verse 12 and 13, he says, These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Powerful. If you're having trouble following along, you can boil each of those phrases down to one word. They're dangerous, he says first. They're selfish. Uh, a, a waterless cloud in a very highly crop-dependent society is useless. They're shameless. And they're doomed. If they stay on this current trajectory, they are doomed. Are you starting to feel the weight of this? As Jude says, this is important. We see from God, from past history, from examples, that this is important. This is not something that we should take lightly. 
You can feel the tone coming through Jude's writing. Verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. I kind of want to say, Jude, tell me what you really think. And these are fighting words. This is pretty harsh. He's trying to just underscore the importance. He's given us one thing to remember. He's teaching on one thing. Contend for the faith. Don't let things creep in and shift what you're standing on. And he's using very powerful, powerful words. Verse 17, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. He's telling us, We knew this was coming. It's expected. This will happen. As Pastor Scott preached last week, talking about the church 500 years ago, though he said, this happens today. There are things that come in that the church seeks to, to bring in, and the result is it, it pollutes, it perverts, it twists the faith. So Jude says, don't, don't be alarmed be prepared. Be ready. And Judas spent all this time uh, writing uh, the majority of this very short letter, but he spent the majority of this warning and describing and, and giving statements and pictures of when this happens and, and of those people who seek to make this happen. And if you're wondering, well, what do I do how am I supposed to contend for the faith? What is that supposed to look like? Calm down. We're finally there. He, he's got a very short instruction at the end where he actually tells us what we should do. So let's read that. It starts in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now there are two, there's two categories of instructions here. One is the rules of engagement. But those are the last two of those four verses, if you notice. So let's pay a close attention to the order here. The writers will give us the most important thing first. And so the rules of engagement, when we're actually involved in the, the contentious discussion, the back and forth, that comes second. The first two verses deal with our own hearts, our own relationships with God. 
And so you could have uh, somebody who is as right as right can be about a topic, but unhealthy, and they can destroy that person who they're talking to, arguing with. So Jude says, don't start at the argument. Don't start at the, the, the engagement. Start here. This is where it always starts, friends. So see what he says there. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Does that describe you? Can you think of uh, one way in which you've grown in your spiritual walk, in your relationship with God, in the last three months, six months, year, five years? This word building means going up, going forward. It's got the connotation of growth, growing. Healthy people grow, and they don't stop growing. One of my, uh, my main concerns for the church today, our church, the, the American church in general, is stagnation. I really worry that the longer we sit in church and we call ourselves Christians and we do this, what we're doing today, we can grow stagnant and we can stop growing. And I'm concerned for that. So Jude says, keep going, keep building, keep growing. That's how we stay healthy. And so at one point, I thought Pastor Jake was about to preach my sermon. He says, how's your love for God? How's your hunger? Are you really pursuing him? And nobody can answer that except you. Where does your hunger rate on the, on the scale? I don't want to stagnate. I don't want to stay where we're at. I had a friend tell me one time, it's okay to be where you're at. It's not okay to stay there. And so, friends, if we're not growing, then we're in big danger, one, of being sucked into maybe some impure doctrine or thoughts, or secondly, not recognizing it when we're faced with it, or not knowing how to contend in truth. And so keep building. Keep building. Secondly, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. I've prayed with a lot of people in my life, but not that many that I would say pray in the Holy Spirit. Recognize this goes against what he said uh, before. It's in contrast to the word sensuality and, and dreams, where it's more human-focused. And our prayers can often become very me-centered, but when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we pray kingdom-centered. We pray God-focused. And so Jude is reorienting us to, to look forward to him, to pray in that. And this is something that can grow over time. This is something that you can get better with and uh, recognize, learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, how he speaks to you, how to respond 
We offer uh, many different uh, forums for this in either community groups. There's a, a Wednesday night prayer meeting. There's Friday morning and other times during the week, I know, where you can get with others and pray. And it's okay to pray at the level you're at right now, but let's not be satisfied. Not with where our relationship is with Christ, not with our prayer life, not with the the knowledge of Scripture we have. Let's never be satisfied with where we are and what we have. So as we pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sends us to the places he needs us to go, that we need to go. And he orients our vision where it needs to be. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now this one's kind of interesting. I can't step out of the love of God. God loves everyone. Uh, He loves the unsaved. He loves us here in church. He loves everyone around the world. Why does it say keep yourself in the love of God? kind of makes me think of uh, when I played high, uh, high school basketball and uh, I was, I'd be in the game and there were some games that I was not, I was not on top of my game, okay? And uh, the coach, who happened to be my dad, so we got to have extended discussions later on, uh, he would say, Mike, get in the game. Get your head in the game. So I was in the game, but I wasn't really in the game. Distraction. That's the word that comes to mind for me when I read this as distraction. Our lives are so full of a lot. And yet, if we find ourselves not in the love of God, it means we're distracted. There's something else that's taken its place in our mind, in our time. So Jude says, keep the main things in front of you. Stay there. Don't get distracted and pulled into other things. It's not where you need to be. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's it. It's the best place to be. It's the only place we should seek to be. Stay there. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Don't just focus on today, though God has placed us here today to do his work here today. But there's more coming. Keep that long view. We know that God's mercies are new to us every day, every morning. And yet there's more coming, even more than that. And so he says, focus on the mercy of God. There's more than this. There's, There's more coming. Keep that view. Remember, this is all supporting, contending for the purity of our faith. Let's not get distracted. Let's not get sucked into to anything that we don't need to be in. Keep that view. He finally gets down to the rules of engagement. And, and really, the last thing he just told us with waiting for the mercy of God is really a setup. The rules of engagement, because you see that the theme of the, the engagement is mercy. That we're not to contend and fight over uh, the specifics of doctrine without showing mercy to one another. 
That's the theme. Let's read it. He says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Always mercy. Always mercy. He says, save others. Bring them back in. Bring them back into the purity of the faith. Because where they're headed isn't good. Save them and pull them back. He said, with others, there's mercy, but there's fear as well. If someone is bent on going a direction that is not supported by Scripture, through mercy, we, we try to win back. But if they, they are not coming back, then there's some fear involved. Almost kind of like that lightning bolt thing that, that might happen. And let's make sure that, that we don't just try to get along to get along and, and acquiesce and compromise, but still show mercy but make sure that we're not in with that, that there's some fear involved. It is that important. So I don't know if, sorry, I don't know if you will need this today. I don't know if you're planning on having an argument with anyone later today over doctrine. I don't know if you'll need this a month from now, a year from now. But those rules of engagement, let's remember mercy. I do know that uh, we all, myself included, need these reminders of how are we taking care of our own spiritual lives. I need that every day. And so I would really challenge you with uh, the question that Pastor Jake asked earlier. How's your love for God? How hungry are you? Are you really pursuing him passionately? That is the best defense against uh, other things creeping into our lives. It's the best. And so let's work at that. Let's work at passionately pursuing our God. That's where the focus needs to be. So I would challenge you to think about that. Truly think about that. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, how you love people. The fact that you tell us to fight, but fight with mercy is something only you could come up with, I think. Lord, I thank you for this, uh, this passage of Scripture that teaches us, Lord, the importance that you place on purity of our faith. I pray, God, that we would have an increased love for those we disagree with. I pray, God, that we would seek out others in mercy, that that would be our calling card. And Lord, may we never compromise on Scripture. May we never twist Scripture and, and contort it to fit our wishes, but Lord, we submit to you. Thank you, God, for your word. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority 
before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today. We love you. Hope you have a great week. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward. We'll have people here to pray with you. Have a great week. Thank you.